Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, March the 16th, 2022. This is episode 3054 of the Survival Podcast. It's amazing how... Uh, how many episodes we've really done together over the years? Uh, if you're new to the show today, the reason there's that many episodes, this is the longest running and I believe most successful podcast on self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and liberty that there is out there in the podcast verse today. We have been running nonstop since June 20th, 2008. George Bush Jr. was President of the United States when this show started. I don't say that out of any allegiance. I just say that out of, hey, let's put some historical perspective in it. Uh, we've been around that long. So we must be doing something right. If you're new, you may be uh, unaware that Wednesdays are traditionally interview day. We did have some inter another interview this week. But usually we have an interview every Wednesday. We kind of have a schedule that we stick to most of the time. And uh, today we have a great interview. It's one of my favorite kinds of interviews. So I get a lot of interviews that are from people that are authors or they host other shows or they're media personalities, they run businesses. Uh, so they bring a lot of great content, but they also are kind of promoting a thing, which is fine. I think it's great. I always try to make sure my guests uh, don't come off like infomercials, but they get a good branding experience too. And we try to save that to the end and, and make it all content about you know things that you guys can do. But then every once in a while I get an email from somebody that has zero to pitch. It's just somebody that heard a thing on the air and thought, I can help with that. And they really are some of my favorite interviews. That's what today's about. I've had geese, as some of you all know, on my farm a couple times. I had the original Barnyard Mafia. They were Toulouse geese. I had a couple geese that did come from them, Buddy and Joe, that I raised with ducks, and they kind of kept to themselves. We eventually kind of uh, switched over from geese and, and did some other things. And then we brought some pilgrim geese on the farm, and we were unable to produce any offspring from those. And I have never had trouble hatching ducks. We get kind of a low fertility rate due to our drake-to-duck ratio. I have zero problems incubating chickens. It feels like I put two dozen chicken eggs in an incubator and 25 chicks come out. It's not what really happens, but how it feels like almost all of them hatch. I have never had good luck trying to incubate geese. So I said that one day on the air, and I said, I really wish if anybody has, because I've heard this from a lot of people, if anybody's had some good luck with incubation of geese, that they get in touch with me. And when I look at the price of goslings right now, oh my God, this is this is a profitable thing if you can do it right. A goose will give you somewhere between 40 and 60 eggs a year. Uh, they do it in a very limited window. But man, I mean, I just looked at, we thought about bringing geese back this year and we decided financially not to do it. Uh, a sexed goose gosling on Metzer Farms was like $24 for a female and something like 16 for a male. And with poor hatch rates, I just am not willing to invest right now. Well, Maggie Laverman reached out and said, I can do this. I do this all the time. I hatch geese. I hatch ducks. I hatch fowl of all kinds. I know how to troubleshoot it. I can easily give your, your people an hour of value. I said, well, come on. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be talking with Maggie about how she got into home incubation and what benefits tied to preparedness that does. 
And we're even going to talk a little bit about this hype over the bird flu. I, I'm ignoring it, but I'm not ignoring potential consequences from it. Everything is a fear porn thing today, but with all the nonsense they pulled over COVID, who knows what types of uh, restrictions might be placed on shipping poultry in time soon to come. So this is something that preppers need as a skill set. It can be profitable either on farm or profitable as selling goslings. Uh, and it's just a skill set we need to build. And, if, and I really think she can help us understand how to do it with geese and other waterfowl the right way and how to fix some problems. She says she's even performed it. Gosling C-sections. All right. With that, let's go ahead before we bring Maggie on and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today, is KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits is a great site because anybody, even somebody like me, can go there and learn how to make a knife very, very low cost. You start out with a kit. Basically, the frame of the knife is done. It's just not really sharpened yet. You pick some handle material, maybe some bolsters and things like that, pins, put it together, and make this awesome knife by hand. Your first one probably won't be a work of art, but you'll learn how to do it. It's a great project to do with a kiddo, maybe son, daughter, grandson, grandson, niece, nephew, right? Uh, and, and build a family heirloom for very, I mean, under 20 bucks, really, a lot of the kits are. And if you don't know how to do it, they have DVDs, they have books that can help you do it. There's tons of tutorials on YouTube. Check them out today at KnifeKits.com, and they do do a discount. It's not huge, but they do a discount for MSB members as well. Next up today is the Free State Project. I've been supporting Free State since 2010. I've spoken at Liberty Forum three times for them, and I'm not moving to New Hampshire. But what does that tell you? That tells you that I am a diehard supporter of the work that FSP is doing. And is New Hampshire right for you? I can't move, I love my family, and I don't like the cold. But I'm going to tell you the truth, New Hampshire is beautiful, and I almost moved there back in 1993 when I got out of the Army, because it is a special place. Is it right for you? How about this? Go to fsp.org forward slash visit and H. Plan a vacation to one of the most beautiful parts of our country. Go up there and just have a vacation, but while you're there, learn how you can get in touch with people that are part of FSP, and see if it's a place for you to relocate because they have a lot of ways they can help you. Help you find a property, help you find a job, and immediately drop in and be part of a true liberty-oriented community. There's a lot of talk about you know intentional community, intentional community. I don't think people realize sometimes FSP is probably the largest intentional community in the world. Because it's built in a state rather than on like some sort of compound or something like that. There's so much they have to offer. Learn more today, fsp.org. And if you want to learn about the vacation program, forward slash visit NH. With that, let's drop into our live feed and say hello to Maggie Laverman. And we are live. And with that, I want to say, hey, Maggie, welcome to the Survival Podcast. It's an honor, Jack. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here. I was telling people during the intro, like, you give me chicken eggs, I'll hatch them. I think I could take infertile chicken eggs from the store and make them hatch if it were even possible. Gooses I have not had much luck with. And before anybody else there gets on me, gooses and geese are both acceptable. I looked it up. But uh, before we dig into waterfowl and incubation and stuff like that, can you just give us a little bit about your background? How did you get into homesteading and kind of what what's that journey been like for you? Well, I would say homesteading for me started way back when my Aunt Susie gave me a packet of green beans, and I planted them with my dad. And I think that is definitely when homesteading started in my mind, but I didn't get a chance to actually start homesteading until I was married. Um, so 13 years ago, we lived in town on a, a pretty large corner lot, 
And uh, we were able to have a pretty large garden. We had to split it up between three different spots, but it was pretty big. Um, but we also, we were able to have meat rabbits actually in town. Um, my husband was on city council at the time and uh, we wanted to have like bees and chickens, but we even petitioned the whole town um, to get permission for chickens and they would not, that was not okay. Um, chickens was not something that they were willing to do. So long story short, we finally are on the property. I wouldn't call it the property of our dreams, but we're making it that way. Um, but we are out in the country and we are living the homesteading dream. We've been here about five years now. That's very, very cool. And, uh, we, you know, we're going to talk about incubation and I think everybody that gets in homesteading plays a little bit with it because birds are expensive. Mm -hmm. How did, how did you first get into home incubation? We, we first got started, um, we bought a backyard, what they call it? It's from Murray McMurray Hatchery. It was called like the backyard home mix or something like that. Um, and it was a mixture of, you get a couple of geese, you get like eight turkeys and, um, some ducks. So it was like not chickens, but they were all different kinds of poultry. And so we started that way and just by luck, we ended up with a male and a female um, goose and one is a white Chinese and one is a brown Chinese. And so long story short, again, she started laying eggs. We determined that they were fertile. And so we just let her sit on them. But the incubation came into play because of what you and I were talking about earlier, actually, is the ducks would start coming in and laying their eggs near her and they started swapping nests. And so we would have, we would, we were losing eggs because they weren't getting incubated by the mom, you know, in the correct amount of time, um, they were dying. And so we had to intervene and rescue those eggs and bring them inside. So that's kind of how I got started. But incubation was definitely the next stage for us anyway. I just never planned on incubating the waterfowl. I planned on just incubating the chickens. Not sure. only to have our own layers, but also um, to have a, a meat supply, like you've talked about in previous episodes, procuring your own meat supply. Absolutely. And, you know, I think this is a really important topic right now because prices on everything have gone up. But what I've seen with chicks is insane. I mean, but I would still say, like, somebody getting started with chickens and they want, like, uh, half a dozen to a dozen chicks, not that bad. Ducklings and geese? Yeah. I thought about bringing geese back to the farm this spring, and we were looking at ordering them from Metzer. Sexed goslings were uh, sixteen bucks for a male, twenty four ninety five for a female. Yep. With a minimum order of six. With yes. a minimum order of six, right? So you're talking hundred, and then shipping's fifty bucks. So you're talking several hundred dollars just to get geese, and then the option, the other option is like go down the feed store, buy them for fourteen bucks, and then. Are they male or female? We yeah. don't know. What breed are don't they? Know, yeah. We don't know. They're mm -hmm. gooses. Like they're bigger <laughs> than the ducks, so they're gooses. That's it. Right. Right. Yep. That that's a big problem. Um, I know there's some hatcheries now. Well, we've we've got the bird flu that has hit Iowa, and so I know that that is going to cause some problems um, later down the pike. I don't think it's going to affect the hatcheries just yet, but if you kind of look at the news articles from 2010, 2014, when there was other bird flus, 
it does end up affecting the hatcheries and what they're allowed to send out. Because what I what I found out, at least with Marie McMurray Hatchery, is um, they don't have their own breeding supply of ducks and geese and turkeys and guineas on site. They only have the chickens. And so they are pulling in from breeders and then incubating. And so if those breeders are having, you know, biological problems with this bird flu that's going on, then you're going to have a huge supply issue with your hatcheries. Yeah, I, I think that's an issue. I think there's probably a lot of things that tie back into preparedness and being able to have this skill, right? For sure, for sure. But I already mentioned, um, you know, the meat, procuring the meat supply, um, and also just being able to have your own layers. And just besides all of that, too, is the education um, that it provides for your family, for yourself. Um, we talked about earlier, constantly learning, constantly uh, moving to that next level. Can I hold you there for just mm -hmm. a second? Roll yep. on. I'm going to disappear for a second. I'll be right back. I've got a, <laughs> a, a dog that is just going nuts here to go out. <laughs> I'll hear you down the hall, and I'll be back in 10. And okay, you throw no, that's fine. So I'll talk about for a second um, the education for children. I know there's a lot of um, homeschooling kids watching right now. Hi, kids. Um, so incubation is a great thing that you can do um, at home with your kids. There's really small incubators that you can buy for like 20 bucks. They're not very expensive. Um, and they don't do as well um, as some of the bigger incubators. But if you can buy some of the one of those like small educational incubators from like a science shop, um, those do really well to get you started. You can do this in town. You can find um, friends to take the chicks after they've been born. You don't have to keep them. But um, there's a great educational value. Yeah. And I, I, I should have gotten, I should have actually ran this as my item of the day today. And I didn't, I have a new incubator I'm using. It's very affordable. It's like 130 bucks or something like that. And it does 24 chicken eggs. I don't know how good it would be for geese because it's pretty small. I used to one called, used, used to use one called Incubu and it was fine to do geese. You just fit less in it. Um, there's a lot of options with incubators. Yep, for sure. And just to catch you up, I was just explaining to them about you can do this at home with your kids and yeah. it doesn't have to be anything gigantic. It's very easy to do at home. Um, they get real excited about it too. My grandkids, oh, we just yeah. did, we just did, uh, we did uh, a dozen, I call them mongrel chickens. And man, when they started hatching, they just happened to be here when they hatched and it was like, like Fiesta Day, you know, it's like oh, entertainment. Yeah. The iPods, iPads got put down, right? You know? Yeah. Well, if you think about it, let me grab an egg here. If you think about it to a child, this is like a present. It's ah. a, they can't see inside of it, but they know there's something very exciting inside because you've been talking about it for so long. You may have candled it and showed it to them. And so to a child, this is a gift ready to be opened and it's theirs. They get very excited. Mm. So. Could you give like a quick overview of basic poultry incubation for the audience, just kind of incubation in general? Yep, for sure. So what you're doing when you're incubating is you are mimicking what the mom is providing for those eggs. And she's providing two things. She's providing temperature and she's providing humidity. So she's controlling those two factors with her body. And an incubator is going to take that and artificially produce those two things, temperature and humidity. And like I said, there's so many different kinds of incubators out there. I'm actually going to show a homemade one here in a little bit when we get to the waterfowl section. But 
like you said, there's the one you're buying for 130. There's a $20 educational one that fits like six eggs, whatever, whatever your needs are. The basic premise is temperature and humidity. And so I'll talk about chicks right now because when we get to waterfowl, it's going to start changing. But what you're going to do for basic incubation, you're going to collect fertilized eggs. And obviously you need a rooster for that. Um, and you're going to collect those. And what I do is I just put them in a egg carton and I put them in my basement because it's a, it's a little bit cooler. And I'm going to, what I do is every time I eat a meal, so breakfast, lunch, and supper, I'm going to turn the eggs and just flip them on the opposite side and then flip them again. And you keep turning them so that the, uh, the yolk doesn't get settled in a certain place. And as you collect your eggs, then, um, you can keep turning those and they'll be just fine sitting alone until you, it's time to put them in the incubator. And if you'll notice, a chicken doesn't lay all of her eggs all at once and then start sitting on them. That's why this is possible. Um, and then you'll put them in your incubator. And I suggest buying an egg turner. It's just easier. If you're going to do this long term, great. Um, they're not going to fit the goose eggs, obviously. But an egg turner, I highly recommend because you don't have to do anything. Um, and you don't forget. No, right. <laughs> That's yes. the big thing, yep. right? But cell phone alarms are great because um, you could you, that's what I do for the waterfowl. But we'll get to that in a bit because there is no egg turner. Um, so after you've loaded the eggs into the incubator, you started it up. Read your directions, obviously. Um, should probably back up a little bit and say that before you run the main group of eggs that you're going to incubate, you need to do a test run because all um Thermometers are calibrated enough. They're slightly different enough that you want to make sure you do a test run. And you also probably want to use a secondary um, thermometer and humidity reader hydrometer. Um, you probably want to run that as well to see how accurate your incubator is. Um, put that back there. When you say test run, do you mean like hatch two eggs or something yes. like that? Yeah, okay. hatch, hatch two, three eggs. See how they do. What you're looking for is if they hatch too early, because we all, we know that the chicken egg should hatch on day 21. Um, that's pretty set. That's pretty, um, there's not really much leeway either way. And so you want them to hatch, you want to see, did they hatch too early? Did they hatch too late? That will tell you that your temperature and humidity were off. Um, we, we'll talk about the troubleshooting stuff later. Um, but definitely do that test run. Once all of that is successful and you feel comfortable with that, then then do your main run of hatching. Um, but w when when they are about, let's see, for a chicken, it's day, be day 19. There's something called lockdown, and that's when you um, turn off your egg turner you're going to pull the eggs out and lay them all, set them all out. Um, and you're going to lay them on their sides because they're going to settle and the little chicks inside are going to use gravity to know where to hatch. Um, you definitely want to take that egg turner out at that time. And then lockdown, you don't touch them anymore. You don't mess with them and they will begin to hatch. Now, later, I'm going to break that rule. And when we get to the waterfowl, I totally ignore lockdown and we'll get to okay. that. <laughs> that might for, be part of my chicks, problem. Yeah, I don't know, maybe. But for maybe. chicks, 
Um, for chickens, they're they're pretty foolproof, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll add two things to that. One with when you're collecting the eggs and you're waiting till you have enough to do your run, and I I put them in a carton, mm-hmm. and every time I come in with eggs for the next day that I'm reserving, I just flip the carton over once it's closed. Oh, obviously, okay. close it right. So you're doing mm-hmm. all of them. Or if you're doing two cartons of eggs, by the time you have two <laughs> cartons, you just doom doom and they're flipped over. Um, Thanks, you got to remember not harder. put it back. <laughs> the way that it was if you had to turn it to put your eggs in, but you just flip the whole carton. Um, And I've had no problem going out as far as 12 days. I don't know how far you've gone out on collection, but I've done 12 and still gotten almost 100% with chickens. Yes. Yep. Yep. Chickens are the more foolproof ones. Yep. 12, 14 days. I've experimented and I have not been able to get over 14. Okay. And then the other thing I would say is number, well, aside, right? So when people are worried about having to refrigerate their eggs, if you can keep an egg sitting on the counter for 10 days and then hatch it, you can certainly keep an egg sitting on the counter for 10 days and then eat it. Right. right? I'm just, oh, just right. saying, relax on the refrigerator. And then the other one is, you know, with stopping the rot- the, the turning, um, I always, when I look for an incubator, look for one that has the programming in it that it knows when you say, I'm going to do ducks at 27 days, it knows when to stop. Or okay. chickens at 21 days, it knows when to stop. And like the one I have now, again, I can't remember the name of it, but – it has two places to dump water in, and once you hit that lockdown period, you just open the other one and you put water in both of them. And wow. it's it's really simple, and it's 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 not expensive. Um, okay, I yeah. didn't even know about those. <laughs> That's awesome because you don't have to you don't have to again you have to remember right. And like I have friends that do quail, and they'll leave on a weekend and not come back till Monday, and they know the quail are going to hatch like on Sunday. And so the incubator does everything. You come home, little puff balls are rolling around in there. Mm. So it, it's kind of cool. Um, Very nice. Yeah. Uh, besides chicks, what other species of poultry have you incubated? We have incubated, um, you talked about, you explained to people before the difference between a mallard duck and a Muscovy duck. Yep. So we, we have incubated both mallard breeds and Muscovies, or maybe I should say Muscovy. We say that around here, around the house, yeah. the boys say Muscovy duck, just like <laughs> Jack says. Um, and we've it's done regional. the babies. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so catchy, Muscovy duck. I'm from Florida. Yeah, that's where I learned about Muscovies because yeah. in, in Jacksonville, everything's a Muscovy and my uncle called them scuvy ducks. So I mean, scuvy like ducks. there's all kinds of different regional dialects for it. Nice. Um, so we've also incubated the geese. Um, we have, I have tried guineas twice in the incubator. I have not, I mean, pun intended, I haven't cracked them yet. I haven't, um, quite gotten them under control, but when I let the, the mom went off, the, the mother guinea, she went off and disappeared for a month. I thought she was eaten by a fox. I was sure of it. One morning we woke up and she had 18 little babies behind her, 18. And so I let her, I let the, the guinea hatch her own babies now because I have not been able to figure out how to do them inside. So we just, yeah, that, that was, that was a very interesting experience. I was able to find the nest. And um, I was very surprised that I did not find any dead babies. I didn't find any unhatched eggs. She hatched every single one of those babies by herself. It was incredible. That's pretty awesome. And I, you know, I think they're a lot like like Muscovies. They are basically a wild bird. We've changed their color a little bit and all, but if in Africa they're actually they they shoot them as a game bird. Mm-hmm. Because they, you know, the, it's an easy source of meat, and they have flocks of 
thousands of them and things like that. When I first got into homesteading heavily and started considering guineas, and I'm like, well, guineas? What's the difference between guinea and guinea fowl? Because I remember reading about shooting guinea fowl in all these books about Africa when I was a kid. It's like, there isn't one. They're the same bird. The same so, yeah. so, yeah, they have that, that like like the, the Muscovy ducks, they have that innate, I take care of my own thing. And I think if an animal does that, we should, we should let them. Right, um, right. What are some common early problems that can happen during incubation to watch out for? In the early parts, like I, like I already mentioned, when you're starting your incubator, one of the biggest problems that you can have early on is um, the calibration of the incubator isn't right. Um, and you need to be testing that with your other thermometer. But a lot of the early problems are going to be what's called early death. And it could be anything from the genetics of your birds to um, an improper storage of the eggs before you incubated them. Um, it could be a nutritional deficiency in the parents. So th- those three are probably the top um, issues that you're going to see if you find what's called early death. And um, you would find that during candling, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Okay. Um, how do you candle an egg? Let's go there next. I what do you should, do? All right. Let me grab. So this is my handy dandy Jack Spearco uh, streamlight stylus. <laughs> yeah. Recommended. So you can buy um, an actual egg candling flashlight, but this has been perfect for me. I haven't needed to do anything else. It's an LED light, and this is all I have ever needed for candling eggs. So candling an egg is using light to look in. It's wrong way. To look inside of an egg. And so you'll you'll go into a dark room or a dark place and shine a bright light into the egg and you'll be able to see what's happening inside. It takes a while to learn some of the different things that are happening. But there's, you know, with YouTube and Google and well, we don't like Google, but DuckDuckGo and all these other neat search engines, there's a bunch of different charts and things that you can look up and learn over time um, to learn what exactly is going on in your egg. So you are going to want to candle your eggs at about three days along. And what you're looking for is a little red spot with maybe some spider veins coming out. So that means your egg was fertilized and it's growing. If you see just clear, clear nothing, um, your egg was probably not fertilized. So what I will do is I'll write a question mark on that egg and I'll put it back in just in case because it might be just... It might behind. be just a little bit behind, but chances are it's not. It probably just wasn't fertilized, but I like to be sure. So I'll put a question mark on that egg. Um, and so, so like I said, you're looking for that, that main nucleus of that chick starting and then some little spider veins coming out. So that'd be about day three. And the reason we candle and you also want to be candling your eggs that are outside under a mother is because they will, they could go rotten. So an unfertilized egg, one that died early, they're going to rot and the bacteria is going to end up pouring out of that egg and kind of basically infecting the other eggs and you can spoil an entire batch. Um, I'll talk, I should talk about that right now too is, um, people don't know this, but an egg is actually very porous. There are tiny microscopic pores, um, all around the egg. So that is why we are able to leave our eggs out on the counter 
um, some fresh eggs from outside and we can eat them, you know, three weeks later without refrigerating them because there's a membrane that when the chick, the chicken lays the egg, there's a membrane that's around it. And these little pores are being blocked from any bacteria coming in and out. And but we need to keep this in mind when we're incubating um, because those pores are helping the egg to respirate. The chick is not physically breathing air. That's not what I mean by respiration. What I mean is the egg is able to to communicate with its environment, humidity in and out and the moisture of the egg in and out. And so we need to keep that in mind because it can also bring in bacteria in and out. Um, I would like to show an example of a very dirty egg that you probably would not want to incubate. So this is a goose egg that was laid a couple days ago and it was raining. And so she laid it kind of in a in muddy spot. And for the purpose of incubating, this is probably not a good idea because I can't wash it. If I wash it, I'm going to wash off that bloom, which is that that membrane that is kind of around the egg when the mom lays it. And you can, some people will buff it with like a brush or a paper towel and that's fine. But this one is, I think too far. This is too far yeah. gone and too poopy because this is just going to respirate with this egg and rot it and probably do the same with the others. Now this egg on the other hand is not as dirty. So this one would probably be okay to buff with a paper towel. Oops, wrong way. And so people can hopefully see that. If they're on the audio, I'm just showing an egg that has a little bit of mud on it and a little bit of soil, but not as much as that first egg I showed. And then this egg I got just the other day is like perfect. So I yeah. did not have to do anything to this egg. This is going to be a perfect incubating egg. So. Yeah, that's one I wouldn't even watch for a customer that was right. just take it home and eat it. Right? That's right. So candling is extremely important. Um, a friend showed me this trick as well, which I'm sure everybody knows this trick. But just in case you take a toilet paper roll and you set the egg on top and put your flashlight on the bottom. And it's just a lot easier to hold and to maneuver the egg um, around so you can see inside of it. Um, no, I'm going to say I was today's today days old when I learned that. I did okay. not know about oh. the, the paper towel roll trip, paper toilet it paper. It just helps. It, it helps you hold it because when you're trying to so. when you're trying to maneuver an egg and you're nervous and you're just kind of it's very hard to the toilet paper roll really helps. So that was a nice tip from from a friend of ours. So especially a big goose egg too. And, oh and, yeah. And, and when you're trying to see like is that really you know what I think it is. Well, the worst thing to do is to drop an egg that is like almost there and the little, the little baby just dies right in front of you. It's yeah. Yeah. It's that's so pretty bad. you want to do everything you can to secure that egg. <laughs> but so, so back, back a little bit. So you're going to candle on day three and that's to tell who's fertile and who, who's fertilized and who's not. And you can go ahead and dump the ones that, if they're clear on the inside and you don't see that little spider spot, like I said, I like to wait a couple more days just in case you can always throw them out later. Then you're going to want a candle again. Uh, it can be kind of up to you. I, I do whenever I feel like it. So maybe once a week I candle and uh, you'll just see more and more progression of the babies inside. And it, it becomes really fun 
really, really fun to see, especially for children. And well, my husband likes it too. It's kind of neat to see the babies inside, but uh, you'll see that development start. Um, one, let me grab the goose egg here because it's easier. If you had a fertilized egg, you candled it on day three, and then let's say you came back a week later, and all of a sudden you see this red ring across the middle, and you're not seeing movement because you definitely should see some movement, some heartbeats, some wiggling. Something. Yeah, you should see something. If you see a red bloodline across the I guess the horizon, the lateral part of your egg, that's called an early death. And that, that baby is gone. That, that chick has died. So that is an egg you want to throw out because it's going to start rotting in your incubator. All right. So let's get into waterfowl, especially geese. Um, Do you use a different incubator, different technique? Is there anything special that you do there? Here's the fun part. So, we, I told you that the, the problem that we had before was the ducks were laying their eggs um, near the geese. And so the mama goose would get up and she'd go um, do her eating and drinking for the morning and she'd come back. Well, she was coming back to the wrong nest and we were having issues with getting her to stay on the correct nest and having issues with eggs getting tossed out and Various different things going on. So what we had to do is we had to make our own incubator because we didn't have one yet. We didn't have an actual incubator. So we made, let's go this way. We made a homemade incubator and this is a styrofoam um, container from a vet office, a veterinarian's office. And this is what their vaccines come in. So you can get this for free just by calling up your vet and saying, hey, I would like a styrofoam box or a styrofoam cooler. And I'm sure they would be happy to give it to you because they're just going to throw them out. But um, my husband made this just really quick because we had to get those eggs inside or we were going to lose them. And so what we the reason we chose this method is we knew that waterfowl did better with a still air incubator, which means the air is not constantly being pushed through. Um, incubators, like a hovabator incubator for chicks, that's called a forced air, where the air is constantly being circulated. This is a still air incubator where all it's doing is providing the heat element. So let's see if I can get this off here. But... So what we did is he took a light bulb socket okay. and um, put it through the top, attached our the light bulb onto it. And that's just a CFL, but a regular this is CFL. Just, it's just a regular light bulb. And lo and behold, it happens to heat this incubator to right at 100 degrees. Like we, really? we couldn't even make that up. Nope. Right at 100 degrees. And so you have no thermostat in that at all? The not a regulated one. We just used this. We just used the uh, store bought one. Okay. Um, temperature and humidity. And what size one. CFL is that? Because I'm going to get a thousand people asking. What's the <laughs> CFL? The, is that the nine watts that my husband wrote down here? Probably. A, okay. A nine watt LED. Nine watts. And it's probably yeah. something like 40 watts equivalent or something. It's a little one. Okay. Yeah. That, that I don't know. So my husband's the electrical engineer and I just make the food. That's all I do. So that part I don't know. <laughs> but we so couldn't believe. If people had the wrong 
if it got too hot, people could throw a simple little Johnson's control thermostat in there and then yes. that would handle that. Yeah. Uh, and I'll add that like that box, even though you said you got it from your vet, if you order a lot of times if you order meats mm-hmm. from like, I order like large amounts of quail for parties and things like that. It's exactly the same. So if you okay. know somebody that does a lot of, dinner parties and entertaining, those things are like, you get one, you're like, oh, this is great. When you get like your fifth one, you're like, okay. Now what do I do with this? Now what do I do with all this styrofoam, right? So if you know somebody that does a lot of dinner parties and stuff, they probably have a bunch of those laying around and they probably have one showing up for the next dinner party. That's right. Yeah. So that's a perfect way to do it. And if you really want to be nerdy, you could like make one of these as a Christmas gift for all of your homesteading friends. Awesome. Just kidding. So it's just, yeah, a light bulb socket. What did he call that? Yeah, a light bulb socket and a light yep. bulb. Happens to heat it to about 100 degrees. And then what he did is he cut a hole in the front, an observation window. Let me yep. hold that still for you. And he put plexiglass on both sides. Okay, and, so it's double walled. All right. Yep, double walled. And then he just put caulking around and we've had to add the duct tape. We didn't use it originally, but we did have to add the duct tape. So it's not very pretty anymore. We gave our nice one away, but that's okay. I I, I don't think it would be quite as cool without the duct tape. The duct tape is like the number one homesteader prepper, redneck item, like zip ties, bell and wire and duct tape. If you have those three and you can't put it back together, you need a welder. Yeah. You know I mean? Really? Yeah. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. And it's cool that that nine watt CFL in that size just hits a hundred. And that's, yes. that's probably going to be the case in most instances then for most people, because you got so much insulation there. Unless you put it outside the cold, you're going to be about room temperature. It's probably yes. going to work out. What you have to watch is your house temperature. So for us in Iowa, like today it's 65 degrees, which is yeah. not, not normal. So my house is pretty warm right now, and then it'll shift back down. If, you, if you're keeping your windows open, and it's nice enough for humans, you know, it's a good human temperature to be opening your windows and then closing them in the evening, you'll really have to watch the temperature of that incubator. So what I would use is just a simple pen, um, something to put a gap in the lid or okay. kind of adjust the lid. But this work, that worked for me for an emergency because I'm home all day. I'm around the kids. We homeschool, so we don't really go anywhere. So I was able to watch it and that was a cost effective way. But later we were able to upgrade. My husband got into beer brewing and so we were able to upgrade to a temperature regulator. So this is yeah. a northern brewer basic temp temperature regulator so you can get them from we looked on amazon they are 35 to 80 dollars depending on what you want to get and you just want to make sure that you plug it into the heating side not the cooling side okay (laughs) the the heating outlet yeah because that would be something that i would need to be told yeah and there's uh there's a lot of different uh thermostats that you can use and uh, I use one from Johnson Controls on my Keyser. That would work. Yes. I mean, I'll try to find like a couple that I can recommend and put in the show notes. And yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to run that that incubator tomorrow to follow up this show as an item of the day, and I'll I'll uh, mention that incubator that self made one and and those controls in it as well because okay, I think that's awesome. Because yeah, okay, so we're already at the forced air thing, and. I don't know if the incubator I have has an option to turn that forced air off. It probably does not. 
And that is kind of the secret sauce there then with waterfowl. Yes, it's one of them. So what I did is I like to observe things in their natural habitat and I'll just sit there and just watch. So I went out and just watched our mama goose and what she was doing. And one thing that I noticed that she did is she purposely chose a very moist environment to put her nest, which I thought was kind of stupid, but she actually purposely chose a very, a more moist, wet area of the coop to make her nest. The other thing that we have to realize about waterfowl is they don't have the same feather structure that a chicken does. They're much, they obviously have the down. They obviously have a thicker, um, more water wicking um, feather structure than a chicken does. And so when you have that super thick down, she's obviously going to hold in more humidity than a chicken is. And so I took that into consideration as well, just kind of watching how she was structuring her nest and how she was, how she was even doing this. I even went out and um, went to a local lake and watched the wild geese and I wanted to know where they were putting their nests. And I, we all think they put their, that a, a bird would want to put their nest somewhere dry, somewhere out of the way, but that's not the case with the geese. They are putting them in a swampy, kind of a low area. And I think that's part of the key that we are missing is we aren't creating in our incubators a really, really wet, moist environment that the air doesn't move because their, their feathers are so thick. We have to mimic that. So how do you keep that humidity up in that homemade incubator? Do you use uh, a bowl of water? What do you do? I use um, a dish sponge. So those sponges that are actually spongy. And I will have anywhere from one to four of them going. It just depends on the humidity of my house. It depends on the humidity around. And I just keep watching that gauge. And I'll either pull one out or put one in. Something I need to mention before I forget is I have also experimented with the type of water that I'm putting in. Um, I have experimented with tap water versus filtered water. And there is definitely something to say. We talked about the pores of the egg earlier. There's definitely something to say about using filtered water. And I don't know if it's because the geese are more sensitive. I don't think they are because they're very hardy. But I do think because they need the extra moisture, they're getting mm-hmm. more water. We need mm-hmm. to provide filtered water. Yeah. I, I I'm going to bet that's chlorine. And chlorine yeah. is a toxin. Yeah. You're going with higher humidity, mm-hmm. right? So you're putting more humidity into the egg. You're in a closed, non-circulating environment. Mm-hmm. And then you're pushing chlorine into the egg. Exactly. So it's probably less filtered and more are you chlorinated or chloramine or whatever other crud is in bath water like you know i have i have well water so i'm probably good there but it wouldn't take much to use water from the berkey's not that much water correct uh, no, but it's I, not. it makes sense if you're pushing higher humidity and you're not moving the air and you have off-gassing chlorine and chloramine that's probably bad for a developing embryo that just correct. you don't have to be um you don't have to be a genius to figure figure that out, do you? No. You don't have to be, but it's also one of those things we overlook. You don't think of. It's just, water. Yeah, it doesn't even, we don't it's even think of water. it. water. Did you say what the humidity range is you're, you're shooting for? I I go pretty high. I've got a little chart here that I made. For the, the chickens are way lower. Chickens are like yeah. 
50% humidity. Yeah. For a goose, um, I actually start and keep it around 60, just 60. whole time. Just go with 60. And then for hatching, I bump it way up to 80. Okay. 80%. So okay. something I need to mention as well um, that ties in here is when I'm incubating the waterfowl, I spray the eggs down. Every time I turn them, I give them a spritz of water, just a misting spray. Uh-huh. And again, filtered water. Uh-huh. Not chlorinated. So More I did an experiment. Off. I did a side-by-side, same eggs, same batch. Everything was a you know perfect scientific experiment. Everything was the same. I changed the water, and I got like a 50% hatch rate with the tap water, and I got an 80% hatch rate with the filtered water. So big difference. So the, the chlorine definitely, some, something in the tap water is definitely messing with things. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I, that makes sense to me a lot. Um, what are some characteristics specific to homemade incubators that you really need to watch for? So with the, with the homemade ones, um, we've found, we've experimented with a few different kinds. Styrofoam, like you mentioned earlier, is the best insulating to give us that still air um, mm-hmm. kind of environment. So we really, really like styrofoam. We, the incubator that we bought for chickens, we wanted it to be dual purpose for both being very good for chickens and very good for waterfowl. So we bought the Hovabator from, oh, what are, Strongbergs. Strongbergs has the Hovabator Genesis. And we like that one. Um, I know there's some incubators that have a plastic outer shell. And then like a, a inch and a half maybe of styrofoam insulation on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I had one of those before and it just, it couldn't, it couldn't do it. I don't know what it quite was, but there's something about the thick walled styrofoam that really keeps that humidity in for you and really keeps the air. It almost kind of, I don't want to say putrid, but it just really keeps the air kind of swampy is kind of what you're going for. No, that makes sense. Anybody that's ever spent time in a swamp when it's, when it's warm out knows exactly what <laughs> right, you're saying. Right, right. A very, very human human environment, for sure. Are, so, are there, oh, go ahead. Nope, you're good. Okay. <laughs> are, are there some uh, calming hatching issues? And, yeah, and if yeah. so, how do you remedy those? Here's the other fun part. This is this is my most enjoyable part is the the delivery. We, we like to say that we're uh, midwives here when we help the the chicks hatch. So there's something called lockdown that we talked about earlier where you're supposed to not touch the eggs after a certain point so that they can write themselves. We'll use an actual egg. So they can write themselves in the egg so that they can begin to hatch. And this is where a lot of the problems occur for chicks, for hatching chickens, um, lockdown is very important and very fine, and they usually hatch just fine. We're going to change all the rules now when it comes to waterfowl. If you understand what's actually happening in the egg, then you can help those waterfowl babies hatch a lot better and get a much better hatch rate. And it's totally okay to help them if you understand what you're doing. And so I'm going to explain kind of how that, how hatching works and then kind of how to troubleshoot in between. So I'm holding up a picture here of an egg. So let's pretend this is our goose egg. 
So what's happening during lockdown or the last days of hatching is that baby has filled most of the area of the egg here. And we have an open area to one side and that's the air sac. That air sac is what you've been watching this whole time while you're candling. While you're candling, you'll learn that you need to be making sure that air sac is decreasing just incrementally. There's some charts you can find online. They're different for chicks. They're different for ducks. And there's charts that you should probably pull up and get to know with whatever animal you're hatching. But that air sac there needs to have significantly dropped. The basic rule to remember is that you want the weight of your egg, you can weigh it at the beginning, you want the weight of your egg to drop by 14%. And that's pretty much across the board for all species of eggs. Okay. And so this empty area here is that air sac that has reduced back, and that's the humidity, the humidity coming in and out of the egg while the egg respirates. It's letting out that moisture and that um, chick is forming. So the chick is taking up a whole bunch of space now at the end here. And what the baby is going to do, what I'm, I'm drawing, people on, on the audio can't see this, but I'm going to draw what it, a little dark spot at the bottom. And this is our yolk. That is the nutrition that is connected via an umbilical cord, just kind of like a baby in utero. And it is connected um, to that baby. And during the last few days of hatching, the baby is going to absorb that yolk. And that yolk is what it's supposed to be out in the wild is it is supposed to be the nutrition while to sustain the baby, to sustain the chick or the gosling or whatever until the other babies hatch. And then they all hatch all together all at the same time. And they have a little bit of time to rest and dry off and get fluffy. And then the mom, when they're all hatched, the mom will take them out and they'll start to eat. But that yolk is their nutrition until that happens. So most of the um, issues with hatching have to do right at this right at this time when that yolk is being absorbed. So what a, a baby chick does, we'll just use the term chick, I guess, but it goes for all of them. What they do is they make an internal pip or a break in the membrane on the inside of the egg. When you hard boil an egg and you're going to peel it, it, it's always very handy when you get underneath that membrane. You're like, oh, sweet. Yeah. You can just rip off the whole the whole eggshell all, all in one. That's that membrane that you are seeing. And that's uh, when when it's a fertilized egg you're dealing with, with an actual chick, that membrane is full of veins. And there's, there's blood vessels going everywhere um, around all the way around the egg on the inside and all the way um, up against that air sac. So when that baby pierces through to that air sac, it's called an internal pip. And you'll see that in your directions. You'll see that um, when you're researching about your incubation. That internal pip is one of the markers, one of the places that um, trouble starts to happen. So that air sac is supposed to, it's oxygen. It's supposed to sustain that baby while the pressure change happens, because once they make that internal pip, there's actually a small pressure change between the egg and the baby. And that yolk, um, I'll use this example. Jack, have you ever put too much lotion in your hand and you're like, oh, crap, I need to get this lotion back in the bottle? 
So what do you do? You tap the lotion back down, you squeeze it so that it's empty at the top and you suck it back up. That pressure change, that's exactly what's happening with this yolk is the baby is now able to start sucking up or pulling in that yolk into its body. And so while it does that, um, they make a yawning or like a, they kind of look like if you were, if you were able to see them, they're making a yawning motion or kind of like they look like they're eating something. Okay. People, people will say, Oh, they're gasping for air. They're suffocating. They're not suffocating. They're fine. They are, what they're doing is kind of like when you need to pop your ears from an airplane until you yawn or you stretch your jaw out, they're able to pull in and change that pressure to pull in that yolk. So that's what's, that's what's going on there. So after that internal pip, and so now the baby is, well, I'll leave that open. The baby's breathing that air. Then what they need to do is they need to make that external pip. Here's another um, part that this is probably the most common place for what we call DIS or dead in shell. Mm-hmm. So a dead in shell means the baby was never able to make the external hole in the egg and they, they did suffocate. So that that's your most common when you have eggs that don't hatch, you crack them open and you see that there's just a dead baby inside. That's what happened is they were never able to make that external hole. Now, this is where you can step in. It's totally okay to step in and help these guys out, especially with the geese and the waterfowl. So it's something that you can observe with candling um, during lockdown. It's very okay to go into your incubator and just use a candle, like just turn off, wait till night time and turn off the lights in the room and just kind of candle them and see where they are. You can see the internal pip. Um, you'll get to know how to do that. Mm-hmm. But you can see the internal pip and um, you can kind of tell where each individual egg is in their hatching stage and just keep an eye on them. You can always make notes. I would stop spraying at this point, by the way, stop spraying right. the water. But make notes on the egg with pencil so you can keep track of who's doing what. Um, but what I do actually is anyone who's struggling with that external pip, if I feel like it's been too long, I actually will take a screw and not a nail. I'll use a screw because I feel like the threads give me more control. Mm-hmm. And I will candle, make sure I'm not like accidentally, you know, hitting. Now we're doing surgery eye. here. No, minor yeah. surgery, right? We're doing minor surgery. And I'm just making a hole, a tiny, tiny little hole in the top so that that baby can at least breathe. If they can breathe, they're, they're pretty much going to be fine. Um, we can figure the rest out as long as they can breathe on their own. So another huge mistake, and I'm not going to name the YouTuber, I'm not going to name who it was, but okay. a huge mistake that I see people make is they try to help the baby hatch, but they're not understanding what's going on during those last three days with the yolk absorption. And what also is happening is there is a blood absorption going on. So all of the blood that was in the membrane, all of the blood vessels, that blood is being absorbed into that baby's body. Okay. So sometimes when people, quote unquote, help a baby hatch, they're not understanding that that blood all has to be absorbed first before you can touch them, before you can help them at all besides making that tiny hole. Okay. 
So, so like I said, let's say that this egg, you know, has internally pipped. I gave it a, a breathing hole. Most of the time with my geese, that's all they need. They just needed that extra external hole. They'll find the hole later and they will continue hatching on their own. So the next thing that a poultry, you know, anything that you're hatching, the next thing that they do after the external pip is called zipping. Like you're zipping a coat, zipping. Mm -hmm. And they make a perforated holes all the way down and around the, the end of the eggshell. And that's how they push, they get, get it loosened and then they push themselves out. I have had to zip a couple of times for a few of them. I just, I knew what stage they were at. There was no more blood visible on that membrane and it, it had turned white. So if it turns white or like a tan brown color, all the blood is absorbed. And so I've had to help and I'll use that screw again and I will just perforate tiny, tiny little holes and get them started. And they, they usually can finish it on their own. But the key that people miss is that blood is, okay. the, is that membrane. So I've never pipped one for the bird. What I've had is birds that have pipped. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is hatched and that one, and you give it a little bit more time. Like, nah, and I, I've done a little bit of cracking of the egg like that. How do you do that? What do you use the screw as well and kind of go down with it? Or what do you do? For for just making the hole? No, no. The bird's pipped. Oh, bird's But pipped. he's stuck and he's not coming out. How, how do you handle making that? You said you've zipped a few. What do you, what yes, do, you do? the screw. Again, the you screw. And I just make tiny, tiny holes all the way around. Yeah. I use a knife and my, my okay. pocket knife and I make little tiny holes. Like, I don't try to connect them for him. I just kind of... And maybe push a little bit. It gives a little bit yes, and put yes. it, put it and let it go. And they, I, yes, I don't know. I kind of feel like if they don't make it at that point that maybe they shouldn't, you know, as far as genetics or something like. <laughs> right. Well, it's almost, I don't want to say it's not possible. If they've made it this far. Yeah. The issue is not, it's not their genetics. The issue is we interfered at the wrong time okay. or in the wrong way. It is what I found. I've, I have not once lost a goose and I have only lost one duck, and I can't remember what that was too. But it wasn't to a hatching problem. Okay. It was because I've never else. I've never had this problem with a waterfowl, but I've had it with chickens where they've pipped and they're just not coming out. And every time I've popped one open for them, basically they've they've, they've come out and been fine. You mm-hmm. know, a day later, you can't tell which one it was unless you'd somehow mark it or something. Right. Or if you had like one dark one and everybody else was light and it was that one, then maybe you'd know. But otherwise, you can't can't really tell the difference. I have seen people that believe you should never do this and the bird gets stuck. And when, and when they eventually do it, you basically have like this Quasimodo twisted bird. I've seen (laughs) that happen. And it's sad because I think we've been told not to do this. And what we've learned from you today is a better way to do it, which is great for the show song. Right. Um, But but definitely it's something that can be done and it it does work. And it does work and it it doesn't have to be, it's just like with anything. If you have understanding about something, you can troubleshoot it then. If you understand how that thing works. So but back to the YouTuber that I'm not going to name. Okay. There's a video about hatching geese, and they they go to help one that's not hatching yet. Well, it turns yeah. out that egg was just a little late, and they go and help it hatch, and it, like, pours out, you know, blood, blood everywhere. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's dying right in my hands. And I'm like, oh, I was just driving me crazy. Yeah. It was absolutely driving me crazy. I'm like, you don't understand how that works. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's just that they have to absorb that yolk 
and they have to absorb the blood because the blood is that's their strength that's where they get it's just like a baby a human baby with the placenta they have we the a baby for a human absorbs the blood from the placenta as well and by the time the placenta leaves us it's dead it's a dead organ so it the same thing is going on with the egg pretty much um and so if you can get your if you can get the waterfowl past the external pip you're pretty golden you're that's the good. key that they, they they cannot get through their own shells is basically what happens because we we can do whatever we want we can try our best with these homemade incubators with store bought incubators nothing beats the mama goose Sure. No, nothing beats what she knows. I mean, she knows the temperature outside and she knows that when she gets up to eat, she'll cover her eggs with straw if it's too cold or she won't get up. My mama goose just won't get up if it's if it's too cold outside, if it's, yeah. you know, 32 or below. She knows the temperature outside. She also knows the humidity. Well, one little bit of warning with birdie geese. Even if they're generally agreeable, they're a lot less agreeable once they brood, including, mm-hmm. in my experience, their interaction with other birds. So we had some geese. They got mm-hmm. along with the chickens just fine. Every once in a while, it's a little squabble. Goose always wins because it's like four times bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was like, I had a lean-to structure outside of the coop, and the goose decided that was where she wanted to lay eggs. Well, the stupid chickens constantly wanted to go in there, and they would get the heck kicked out of them. And one morning, I'm out having my coffee talking to the birds, and the goose came out, and she had the chicken by the wing, like mm-hmm. on the armpit in her beak. And she was wing beating. This is a big loose. <laughs> and she's wing beating the crap out of it. And I ended up dumping my coffee on her because I thought she was going to kill the chicken. So if you're going to do the mama goose route, just understand that if you can create an environment that keeps everybody away from them. And I think that's good with birdies anyway, but geese will, there, there is no, that is not David Goliath. That's David with no slingshot and 52 Goliaths with guns. There is no yeah, world yeah. in which a chicken can handle an enraged goose. Um, I've also had them come at me, uh, same scenario. And I had all of them come. There was like eight geese and mm-hmm. I looked like a wrestler. I was like pinwheel slamming them until they gave up and stopped. And I mean, they were coming from everywhere. It's just, they're a different they critter are. when they're on brood and you know, people talk about them being mean and whatever. And my geese, they were never that bad, but when they were on brood, man, mm-hmm. they, Okay, you, mama bear syndrome, right? Something I'd like to say on that note, um, good spot to insert this. If people are going to start, if they're just starting, they don't have geese yet, something I would highly, highly suggest, especially if you have children, is get the geese as goslings and hand raise them. So we hand raised our two parents. And now I can, I'm not trying to tread on what you just said, um, but we are able to go out and pet her and touch her while she's sitting on the nest. Okay. And I could even go out right now and pick up the dad, pick up the mom. It doesn't matter. I can pick them up and pet them and set them back down. So I, because geese are so intimidating and can be hard for children, I would definitely suggest hand raising and it's totally doable. Hand raise those goslings and just just do a lot with them, you know. Put them in the bathtub when they're big yeah. enough to swim, and um, it's it's just so much more beneficial if the parents are on your side because yeah. when you have to go and take their eggs, you want to be able to have that relationship with your goose that I can yeah. take your eggs and incubate them. Um, something we also do because partially because I'm lazy, but 
I do give the goslings back, the, the goslings that I've incubated, I yeah. give them back to the mom. So most of the time she's been sitting on some duck eggs that okay. she got mixed up with. And so we just let her do that. Don't yeah. care. If we they're in that mode, that. they'll take, yep. just don't take them and her. then you don't have to do nothing, right? Then, yep. they, then they do everything. It's so beautiful to watch. Um, I love taking those goslings out and I'll put one underneath of her and I'll take an egg and I'll put one underneath and take an egg again. Yeah. And we just sit there and we watch and her, her demeanor completely changes. She stands up and she starts like chittering to them, like kind of cooing. And the dad comes in, they're like, Oh, there's little babies. And they get so excited. And then I take those duck eggs and finish them inside. We've done this too. We've had a a chicken go broody Mm -hmm. and we have eggs in the incubator and they're pipping. And we've literally taken the eggs from the broody and put the ones that are about to hatch under her. Okay. And then she just like, Oh, this, and we also had one last year. She went broody and she went in a really bad place. And so we moved her and then she abandoned and then she went mm-hmm. back to that same place. And it was just not a good place to brood. And I knew that and her eggs were not going to hatch. They were clearly dead. Uh, and she wouldn't give up. And sometimes they can get to where like they'll die. Mm-hmm. Like if they don't have something to brood, they won't come off. So we went down to uh, Russell feet, not Russell feeds, wherever Atwood's. And we bought like a dozen, and she's a Bantam, so we bought a dozen Bantam babies, and like brand new super babies that came in that day. And we waited till dark, and we went and took her eggs, and we stuck those babies underneath her, and she was happy, right? And she had this mongrel flock, you know, she had silkies and, and a, whatever they are, you know, buff Orbingtons and all. She didn't know. They were, as far as she concerned, she had some they babies. Hers, yeah. She went on about her life. I think it was any way we can get them back with the yes. parents. It's we should. Better. I don't know if you can always do it. If they're not in that mode, that's not going to happen. Not in my experience. You can't just give babies to a mother who's not brooding. But if she's sitting, it seems like I don't even think it needs to be really timed to that perfectly. Like as long as they're in that mode, there's a baby. And that's yeah. everything in their thing is driving them. I want to be a mommy. I want babies, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you have any other tips for like, you know, Right after we, right after hatch for a few days, like, cause we can't always right. turn the yep. job over to mom. We, right. Yep. You can't always do that. Maybe you are getting your first goslings from a friend and this is how you procured them. Um, what I like to do and I've never, this has never failed me is Justin Rhodes. He has a recipe for miracle water, I think is what he calls it. And it's, a uh, you put probiotics and different things into water, the water that you give to the goslings or the ducks or whatever it is. So I'll give that recipe a second. So in one quart of water, and remember, we're on a filtered water kick, yep. so only filtered water. He does one clove of crushed garlic, one teaspoon of honey, one pinch of salt, and one splash of apple cider vinegar. And the apple cider vinegar needs to be real, not your flavored stuff. So the real with the mother apple cider vinegar. So if you put those in a quart jar and that's what your goslings or ducklings and chicks, basically we give it to anybody. And for about the first week of life, we've never lost a bird ever using that. So it it does really well. So besides the miracle water, um, when they're hatching in the incubators, we're going to back up a little bit. Um, remember that those babies absorbed that yolk. So they have nutrition for quite a while for, I mean, 36, 72 hours. They are yeah. fine. 
So you want to wait till your birds are fluffy and dry. If they're not getting fluffy and dry because your humidity is too high or something's kind of goofy, what I will do is I'll take a shoebox and I'll line it with like a hand towel or a washcloth. Okay. And I will use part of the washcloth. So like half of it is lining the shoebox and half of it I'm holding in the air. And okay. I'll put the baby on the inside and I'll take my hair dryer and put it on a warm or a cool setting, not hot yeah. and on yeah. low. And I'll kind of blow dry through the um, the barrier that I've set up and blow dry through to the baby to help dry them off. And you don't want to move your uh, babies to the brooder until they have a buddy. So don't be putting them in by themselves. Let them stay in the incubator until they have a buddy that's also dried off and then move them over um, because they, they're going to be too stressed by themselves. They're going to get too, too wound up and too scared. So just leave them in the incubator. And they're also going to push around their brothers and sisters that are trying to hatch. And that's why the rule of lockdown kind of drives me crazy because they're going to get knocked around anyway when everybody else is hatching. So don't worry about it. It's okay. They get knocked around in the nest underneath mom. We don't need to worry so much about lockdown. We don't need to let that be kind of a barrier to us interfering when we need to. Um, yeah. And when everyone else is hatched and adjusted, you can either keep them in the brooder box or you can bring them out to mom and dad. Something else I'd like to mention, especially with waterfowl, well, it would be only with waterfowl, I guess. But uh, take away any pond water or any water that you have because the the drakes and the ganders, they, they will drown the babies if the babies get into the water. It's a dominance thing. Oops, sorry, I dropped that. Okay. It's a, a dominance aspect. They will try to drown those babies. So take away the water for quite a long time or at least separate the babies from the ganders and the drakes. Um, so that doesn't happen. Okay. And I would say one thing I'd add with the water, and if you're brooding in a brooder because you don't have mom with waterfowl, I don't know if you've ever seen the little apparatus that I built, but no, what I, I do is I take a piece of like quarter inch harbor cloth oh, and I yes. take, and I make a frame of wood, like a piece of plywood, like a frame with like a picture in it. And I attach yes. that to it. And then I set that on some sort of, I usually use like the little small roller uh, paint things you can get at Home Depot because they're good size to go in a brooder and they work and they're like 35 cents. Yeah. And I set that on top. And then the waterer goes on that because you give chickens water, even that one day old, they're responsible with it. They drink water and they're good. <laughs> you give ducks water, they spray water everywhere. Everything gets wet. They don't have any feathers yet. They don't have a mom. Their down gets matted and they literally die of hypothermia and they die like so it's so crazy how quick they'll die when they're wet like that in a brooder. And so um, th there's actually some people that have written in it. We call it the Spirico, like because it saves the birds. Right. Yes, and like, we, we do have those. My husband did make those. I wasn't quite sure what you were referring to. A second. Yeah. And that has been. It's basically a poop catcher, you know, a poop and water catcher. Yeah. And it's and sawdust, sawdust catcher. Yeah. yeah. And so I use it now for everybody, not just for ducks, because there's just less mess. Mm -hmm. And when you clean the brood out, you just, you know, pick it up because it's going to be full with ducks, right? Pick it up really straight and then just dump it. And then you put it mm -hmm. back in and throw your new fresh brooder stuff in. And that was a game changer for us. Cause when we first brooded ducks, we lost quite a few. 
until we figured out to do that. And I was like, there has to be a way to do that, man. There has to be a way. Um, so you got anything else for folks? I mean, I've got, you're on MeWe. I don't have any websites or anything for you. You got any final right, thoughts? No, it's just, um, I would like to mention, um, I'm getting away from heat lamps. They're just okay. they're so dangerous. I had one explode in my hand when I okay. screwed the bulb in and I went to plug it in to see if it was working. And it literally, the bulb exploded on my hand. Oh, wow. So I am against heat lamps. And so we went ahead, we knew we were going to do, the, do this long term, the incubating. So we went ahead and bought um, one of those poultry, they call them a heat pad. Is that what they yep. call it? Yeah. It's supposed to mimic mom because the chicks go underneath of it. And it's like just this. Those are cool. Pot. If you're going to do this long term, I highly suggest just do it. Just buy it because it's so worry free. I used to get up in the middle of the night and like look out the window and make sure my barn wasn't on fire. Yeah. But I don't have to do that anymore. I just I I trust that it's not going to just combust. That's cool. A thing that I've used. I haven't bought one of those yet. I probably should. But they make, they look like a light bulb and they're flat, mm-hmm. kind of like a flood, flood lamp, but they're only maybe the, the flat bigger part is only about maybe a half inch thick. And they are a ceramic thermal heater. And they're, I did so much with reptiles in my life. So they come out of the reptile trade and I'll set two of those and have them suspended from the roof of the, the incubator on just two simple light sockets. And they pretty much do the same thing. And so they can move in and out as they choose. Because yes. I agree. The, An adjustable of, height up and yep, down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never had one blow on me like that. But they they fail so often. And they often, when they fail, the the, the, the infrared, whatever the hell, are the big, bright, hot, super hot ones. So you let it cool down and you go to unscrew it. And the light turns, but socket does it. Yep, yep. And it just comes apart. <laughs> And then you're there with a pair of needle nose pliers trying to get it out of your light fixture. So, yeah, I kind of want those to go away and die. Uh, let's hit a few questions here. Somebody says, how do you know if it's been fertilized? We already we hit that right after he asked. Mouse says, how long are fertile eggs viable for incubating? I think we said that it's 10 to 14. 10 to 14. Yeah. She says up to 28. I had a guy on it about quail, and he said he got like 21 days with quail. I've never done it with chickens or I've never even tried. So, I mean, and you, you said you've got about 14 is your. Yeah. 14 is the top that I've done. Uh, can I have a chicken hatching goose or other species hatching, hatching different eggs? I don't know about mm. that direction. That's a. The humidity. Is an under issue. A yeah. Chicken, right. And I, I think a chicken might have trouble turning it, but I have had chickens hatch ducks and I have had ducks hatch chickens. I don't know if you've ever had either one of those, but I've had, I've threw like four duck eggs under a, a broody bantam one time. And, uh, cause she was laying eggs and sitting on them. And we had no rooster. So like, that's never going to work. And all I had fertile was some duck eggs. She hatched three out of four ducks. Wow. And, and then they like, there was like three bantam girls and they all like were like co-sitting and they like co-parented their freaks. <laughs> and like, it was like three weeks into it. The ducklings were bigger than the chickens and they would look at it. You could see the like, Looking at him like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> so you can do it. Somebody mentioned earlier, I didn't put the comment in to the stars, but, um, they want to use broody chickens to do quail. That was the original bantams I got in my aviary. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea. But so we put the quail eggs under the chicken and then all the quail eggs were gone. And I'm like, well, wh- wh- what's going on? Right. And, I thought I must have a snake in there or something because it's a pretty little egg and, you know, even a baby rat snake will eat them. 
So a friend of mine brought some of his quail's eggs over and went, put them under the chicken. And we spent like, we drank a beer and walked around the property and came back. The eggs were gone. And the chickens were eating them. Oh, no. And I think what it is is because a quail egg has all little specks on it. When a chicken sees something and it doesn't know what it is, what does it do? It pecks. It pecks at it. It pecks at it. Like, well, what is that thing? Because that's their, that's their hands, right? Mm-hmm. And when it pecks something as delicate as a quail egg, it's going to break. And then it's, oh, well, these are yummies. That's what these are. They're not mine, so this must be food. I know it's been done, and I don't know how you would pull it off, but I do know, like, if you wash a quail egg, the the motling comes off, but I would think you've ruined it, right? But then if there was a Hail Mary you could throw, you'll find, like, if you do quails, you'll find, like, one in 20 eggs has no color. Hmm. It has just, it's white. So maybe if you only save those, maybe that would make it stop. Or maybe your chicken won't think they're Cadbury eggs. I don't know. But that was my experience trying to do quail. But I've definitely done ducks to chickens and chickens to ducks. Yeah, the the goose, I'm not sure. The the humidity level is so high. Yeah. Because a chicken is going to be, they choose dry nesting places where the waterfowl are choosing swampy, wet. wet. That makes sense. I I don't, I I wouldn't, but that makes me nervous. It's funny the way you say that because the, when the chickens were living in the aviary, they were, they, they were nested right next to my 250 gallon pond. Oh. <laughs> and that might have helped. And I just, I just had these things that are like, you go to Home Depot and they're like for storage. They're like a little shelf thing and they stack on top of each other. And I just turn those upside down for the bantams because it's a perfect size for them to go inside and lay their eggs and they like it. That's and nice. so it was just sitting there and they chose that. That might have been why it worked mm-hmm. for them. But yeah, we had these three bantams. Three and like one of the ducks was a mullard, so it was a Muscovy mallard cross. So it was massive, and it was like this freaky looking thing. And these three little hens are just following it around, and it's going in the water. And they're like, you know, like you can't do that, you'll die, you know. And he's just swimming around, and it's it's kind of cool. You can do stuff like that. Um, uh, I would all uh, next one. Can you feed bad eggs to pigs or other livestock? Not really on target, but I. I, bad would you, you want to eat a bad egg? That's, yeah, yeah. Can you feed eggs to them? Yes. Can you, yes. If I had an egg that went bad, like stillbirth or something, or just look. Oh, yeah. I would not. I would, no. Like, That's, you know. Yeah. yeah. Compost I would, no. pile. Compost pile. We do feed when we get an egg and we're not saving it for hatching and we candle it and it's like got a big blood spot in it or something. We'll feed that to the dogs or whatever, but yeah, that's that's about it's it. Different. And, yeah, I, you could eat that. I just don't want to. It's kind of off. Well, we have a with the, with a bad egg. There's a bacteria. Yeah. Factor here. That's bacteria is totally different story. Um, if styrofoam is broken, can you chip shred as perlite replacement? That's I guess that's for me. I don't mm-hmm. think so. Perlite and styrofoam are not the same. Styrofoam is styrofoam. It's a synthetic thing. Uh, perlite is actually a type of rock that's been kind of heated and puffed up to make it porous. So I would not do that. Uh, Ecomouse again, filtered water or filtered and distilled water. Thanks. I think just filtered is all you're using, right? I'm just using a homemade Berkey. Yep. So yep. we have the Berkey filters and then my husband just made the rest of it. Five gallon buckets on top yep. of each other or something. Yep. Yeah. And that works. Um, but I think that Probably distilled would be fine too. If you had, if you don't have a filter, you could get distilled water. It's probably better than what comes out of your, uh, system. And K-Bomb mm-hmm. says, what about rainwater? Hmm. 
I don't see why not because that's what the that's what they would yeah. have naturally. Yeah, my gut. We don't have any you know hard evidence here, but my gut is the thing is the chlorine and chloramine. And some people said, hey, you can just let let your chlorinated water sit in a bucket and it will off gas and it will with chlorine. It will not do that if your water uh, source is treated with chloramines. Chlorine and chloramine are different. Uh, and so that's something to be aware of, uh, especially if you're doing what you're talking about or if you're doing um, like fish tanks and stuff like that. Because I have people, I let the water sit for 48 hours, put it in my tank and get it. 30% water change and my fish are dying. Oh, it's chloramine. Hmm. You got to treat it. You got to get it out of there. Um, but hey, this was great. Um, yeah, this was I learned a few things that I had no idea about. And I love to have a day that I can put a lot of things in the, I learned that when I was this many days old category. <laughs> you did a fantastic job for us. I think it's one of the better interviews we've done this year so far and really an awesome subject. Um, it definitely shows that you spent a lot of time learning about this and I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Well, thank you for having me. And if people have a question that's, you know, a little bit bigger, I don't want like a bunch of little tiny questions cause I, I homeschool four boys, so gotcha. I don't have a ton of time, but my email is fine to put out there. Cluck, cluck goose at protonmail.com. That's totally fine to, um, send me questions. If you have some, some bigger, heftier questions, that's fine. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you. And, and Ron says this would be a great side hustle to sell chicks. You ain't kidding. <laughs> if you would have said that five years ago, I would have said, if you're doing turkeys or geese, maybe, right? But if you were going to say you're going to make much to make it worth doing with chickens five years ago, you you might make a dollar or two here or there, but you're not going to make a lot of money. Right now, first of all, it took off like crazy with, with COVID and then with supply chain shortages and everything, the pricing has gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I mean, and with like, the bird flu. Yeah. And it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Right. Like cause mm-hmm. I've been, I've walked into a tractor supply, you know, when they have chick days and you know, they, once they, they've kind of all upgraded out to this new system where they don't get out. What they used to do is just put them in the metal stock tanks. And once those birds would get to where they would fly out, you, you could ask the manager, like, <laughs> what do you want to sell them for? And they're like, I'll sell them for a dollar a piece. You take, I'll, I'll take five. And the guys be like, Tell you what, give me 10 bucks. You could have them all because they had birds escaping and going yeah. everywhere. They would give them away. I guarantee you that ain't happening now. Probably you not. Know? No. <laughs> anyway, again, I really appreciate you being with us today. Thanks for being with us. And uh, I'm sure we probably Thank will you. get some questions uh, sent your way. Uh, thanks for giving your email oh. out. Of, uh, folks, do not abuse that. Yeah, uh, don't abuse that. <laughs> yeah, don't like my chicken's yellow. How do I get a brown one? Don't send stuff like that. But if you have any questions, I'm sure Maggie would be happy to help. Maggie, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Great interview. I hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoy shows like this and you want to help support us, there's a couple ways that you can do that. The best way, and we really, really appreciate it when you guys do this, is join the Members Support Brigade. Here's how it works. You go to the survivalpodcast.com and either click on Members or add forward slash Members. And then you'll see how you sign up. You sign up there. It's 50 bucks a year. That's 18 cents an episode in supporting the show. But it's not, this isn't PBS. It's not like, hey, give us a donation or hey, here's a $2 coffee mug in return for your 50 bucks. We don't do that. I have discounts to well over 60 supporting vendors on stuff you're probably buying anyway. CBD products, I have that. Herbal products, teas, stuff like that, I got that. Plants and seeds, I got that. Tactical stuff, I got that. 
fertility, like Dr. Earth fertilizers, I've got that. Embassy uh, Start 9 server, I've got a discount on that so big. If you're buying like one of the, the, the better servers, it pays for your membership for three years. So you get all those discounts. But it's even better right now. Discount code is Mexico22. Mexico 22, and you can get the membership for 35 bucks a year. The membership pays for itself, and at the same time, you get to support the show that brings all this information to you. This is a show that's brought you this information for for almost 14 years now, and all of our, our content is available for free. You can go all the way back to day one, episode one, if you want to, on the website. Listen, it's a crappy episode. I was just figuring out how podcasting worked. But everything we've ever done is freely available, and you support us at 35 bucks a year on a sale. Come on and get your money back. Most people make money on their MSB membership. So it's a really easy thing to do. The other way, which costs you no direct out-of-pocket money, you're going to buy something online today, tomorrow, next week, this month, sometime. Right? Go to TSPAS, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Before you shop online and start there, and no matter what you buy, even if it's not listed on our site, you will help us out if you start there. However, let me tell you something else. I always have an item of the day for you. It's always an item I own, I use, I spent my money on, and I'd buy it again, or I would recommend it to you. We're coming up on the time of the year where the last bit of, if you got to do any pruning, you need to get it done now before the trees all bud out and start running sap. And so I thought it'd be a good time to bring around my favorite pruning blade for reciprocating saws. That's the Porter Cable 9-inch pruning blade. Now, these things are about four bucks and change a piece. You get a three-pack of them. They are more than your standard cheapo, everyday uh, reciprocating saw blades. I've used those. I've been using a reciprocating saw to do my pruning and to cut slash and things like that off trees instead of a big old honking chainsaw since, oh God, since I lived in Arkansas. Since before I lived, when I only had the Arkansas property as a getaway, that's going back 12 years that I've been doing this. And I've used everything from just plain old wood blades to kind of generic blades to some specialty blades. These guys are worth the couple extra bucks. They do a fantastic job. They look like a mini bow saw blade, which is basically what they are. They give a very clean cut on your larger branches. They make everything safe. It is so much safer to use a reciprocating saw for small uh, branches and pruning and things like that than it is a chainsaw. Chainsaw, you let go of the trigger, and the blade keeps spinning. Honest to God, that's when most accidents happen. That's when people break the, the you know two hands on the saw at all time rule because the, the re engine's not revved up anymore. But that chain's still going. Now, I love chainsaws. I, they have a place. But so do these guys, and they'll make your life easier. And there's so many times when I could get the chainsaw out, but I've got my tools with me on, on my little trailer on my tractor, and you know I need to cut a few branches off. It's much easier. It's much more convenient. It's much more quiet, and it's electric, so it always works. I'm not there pulling on a lever trying to get it to start up. Check them out today. Again, Porter Cable 9-inch pruning reciprocating saw blades. Uh, And with that, hope you enjoyed today's show. We will be back tomorrow with the Expert Council Q&A show for the week. And then on Friday, of course, out back with Jack. Catch you later. Once again, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and
Show you a better way. 